0: Father, I thank you for your word and um, the way it just leaps off at the page at me. And so I pray this morning as we unpack (coughs) Ecclesiastes 12 that your word would just penetrate our hearts, that um, it would encourage us and it would motivate us. And and then when you say the end of the matter, all has been said, fear God and keep his commandments for it's the whole duty of man. Father, I pray that those would not be empty words, but they would truly be action words in our life, that we would, we would let them just sink deep into our very being and let it penetrate into every arena of our lives. May we truly take time, regardless of how old or how young we are, to evaluate how we're living for you and how we're living for the causes of Christ and for the kingdom of, of God. Um, bless our time, fill this room with your Holy Spirit, and teach us, transform us, convict us, reprove us, exhort us. We commit our time to you in your son's most precious name, amen. Okay, Ecclesiastes, the end of the matter. I, I, lo- I had never really fully studied, I've never studied Ecclesiastes, you know, I've just read it. Has anybody else done a study? Of, you have done a You have not. Yeah, what what has always been your pre, your your take on Ecclesiastes? I think this is interesting what how people will respond. Yeah, a little negative. Little negative. <laughs> Somebody said yesterday she told me she goes it's the most depressing book. <laughs> yes. She goes, "Oh, I don't want I, I don't like to study." Another friend of mine at another church, they did a whole 12-week study on Ecclesiastes. I thought she was awfully brave to do that, but they loved it. They just absolutely loved it. We're not doing that in here. I'll just let you know that right now. Well, I, I will say, I'm not going to say never. God has a way of making those nevers come to pass, but I don't plan on doing that. Other thoughts about Ecclesiastes? Did, did, did you have any change of thinking about it after doing this lesson? Or does it still just seem, gosh, what a negative book? Anybody? Yeah, how did it change for you, Jane? Oh, it was encouraging. It was encouraging? Yeah, it was uplifting. I didn't think it was boring at all after I finished it. Okay, she thought it was encouraging and uplifting, not at all boring. Anybody else have an epiphany about Ecclesiastes? I thought it was very repetitive. Very repetitive? Okay. The book? It's repetitive. Which is good. Which is not, good. that is not a bad thing. That's yeah. one of the standards of teaching is keep saying something um, over and over again so, so people get repeated. Yeah. And there's that repetitive, those repetitive phrase, vanity of vanities, or meaningless, everything is meaningless, or under the sun. There, there are those things. Any other thoughts? I thought for maybe the first time, what does it mean to fear God, and do I personally fear God? Yes. We're going to talk about that, too, some more. Yes, Kim? Like the first times I read it, it was, like, okay, depressing. And when yes. I read it this time, it was, like, uh, uh-huh. everything
1: uh-huh. is useless if you don't have
0: God. I mean, it's just not like mm-hmm. as simple as that. It is depressing if you don't have God. That, that, I that's the whole point, and I hope you saw that. Life is depressing. It is vanity of vanities. It is meaningless. There is nothing new under the sun. I think about, about uh, one of those sections, I can't remember where it was, where, where um, the, uh, the, the preacher talks about, why well, because, you know, I work hard and accumulate all this just to pass it on to somebody else who isn't going to appreciate it. I'm paraphrasing there. That is true. That's life. I'm sorry, it really is. And apart from a life of faith and a fearing God and remembering him and keeping his commandments and, and living for him, it, it is horribly meaningless, really. But I think if you read it with a different set of eyes, it's incredibly encouraging. I can't remember if it was included in some of these verses, but there's lots of verses in there uh, uh, alluding to the good gifts God has given us. Go enjoy them. There's wonderful gifts out there in life to to enjoy. Enjoy those gifts, but enjoy them to a fuller extent in a life of faith. I mean, there are wonderful things about life. So I wonder, what I came away with is I wonder sometimes if we we approach the book so much with a presupposition that it's negative that we miss the positive about it. But, But I loved this chapter. Yes, Tony. Yes. This, that you know, this isn't all there is. This isn't all there is. And we're not there's going to be a judgment in a lot of the Bible. We don't you know, we don't see that, mm-hmm. you know. In
1: fact I was in a Bible study when I were this woman It was leading the leading our group
0: and she didn't know there'd be a judgment. She never, Oh really? She never, this was a Bible study? Yes. Yeah, and did. she didn't know there would be a judgment. A, a oh my godship in in Houston. Oh my
1: Yes. They, reading, she said just, they just don't emphasize that
0: in churches. That no. Say, you know, grace and yes. the ever
1: after. And, mm-hmm. you know, after.
0: Mm-hmm. Right, right. Okay, any other thoughts before we just start digging in and exegeting the text? Okay, I think everybody will agree if we picked one main verse from the whole book. It's this verse at the end, the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man so the end of the matter i like to think of it as the bottom the bottom line you know you hear that phrase all the time the bottom line is the bottom line that this is the main point the end of the matter but let's start unpacking it the very at the very beginning remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near which you will say i have no pleasure in them did you notice three times he says before before, 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 what's his point in saying before? yes, did you hear wrong? Do it now. it may be too late later. It may be too late because what's what's coming? What is coming? what Saint La Berneth? Yes, the busyness of life, but what, when he says before, yes, aging is coming, isn't it? And what comes at the end of aging? Death. Yes, death is coming. The day you're born, this sweet, did you all see, Courtney brought her sweet brand new baby this morning, little Caleb. How, old, how many weeks is he now? Three. Put you, cover your ears when I say this, but he's already dying. Yeah, but I'm just being real. The day is born, he's moving toward death. We all are. So the end of the, we're all moving in that direction. And and so live life now and enjoy it now. That's just reality. That's not negative. That's not um, depressing. It's just fact. Yes, Norma? Yes, yes. Yes, yes. What does it mean to remember your Creator? What does that mean? I asked you that question in your homework. What does it mean to remember your Creator? It all depends on him. Do what? It all depends on Him. <laughs> so, um, Let's rephrase that. Um, We need to reflect on who he is because it all depends on him. Does that sound good? So to remember means to um, reflect upon. What else? Okay, so if I'm... My focus is on him, you and, and Lutia are kind of the same thing, then my focus is not on myself. So focus on him, not self. Can you think of some other ways to describe, remember him? meditate. Okay, meditate. Something else. Anything else? You need a relationship with him. Okay. So, um, in remembering him, pursue a relationship. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Other thoughts? I'm not sure that's where he's going, but I think that would certainly—I think that would certainly be encompassed in there. Because when I think about remembering, it's all of these things, and we tend to have a little more passion for that when we first come to know him. Is that—is that? Would you agree with that, Nikki? Yes. Yes. That would go along with meditation and pursue relationships, so I'm having communication with him. I would say remember him would be love him, serve him. Would you all agree with that? Love and serve him. Sure. Who said gratitude? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, we could go on. It's all of these things, but when I I think of these things, remember him, reflect on him, focus on him, not ourselves, meditate upon him, prayer, pursue a relationship, love and serve him, be grateful. What are all those verbs implying? They're verbs. What kind of verbs are they? They're action verbs, isn't it? This, this is all um, action. So if I'm going to remember him, if I'm going to remember my creator in the days of my youth, it, 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 it is through action. It's, it's not passive. I don't just sit here and reflect on him and do nothing about him, but it translates into action to remember my creator. It's something I do in my life, not just in my mind. It starts here, and then it's lived out through me. Do you all see that? I think recognizing his uh, awesomeness, his omniscience, his uh, power, his love for us, just recognizing his, how awesome he is. Mm-hmm. I like that you said that, Tony, because when you say, remember your creator, if I sit there and I reflect upon that and meditate on it... Then, then I start getting the full implication of what is it that he's my creator. And that will lead me to what Lynn said. How could I focus on myself if I'm focusing on him as the creator and I begin to be awestruck by who God is and what is all involved in the idea that he is the creator? He is above time. He is eternal. There is no beginning. There is no end. He is so great and he is so mighty that ex nihilo, he could just open his mouth and speak words and things come into being and as creator he he created this beautiful earth in in those of you all that travel you know what i'm talking about some of the most incredibly beautiful areas oklahoma is not it there are some things here that have their elements of beauty but doesn't quite compare to other places right Uh, but although it is beautiful to go just sit out and watch the fall leaves, Uh, I will take that back. I stand rebuked. The sunsets sunsets here are are beautiful. That's interesting because when we were in North Carolina, when we went to see the kids, we, we left for a few days, (laughs) rented a car and went up near Asheville, North Carolina into the Smoky Mountains and the Blue Ridge Parkway, which is just beautiful, by the way, I'd never been to that part of the country. If you haven't been there, it's gorgeous, great place for our family take kids but um, everything's more compact there and you're not seeing the sunset you're driving through trees and windy roads and it's getting dark in that little hovel long before it is if you come up if you go through that and then come up on top of the parkway then you see the sunset maybe if the clouds aren't hence smoky mountains aren't hanging there but not like here, not like driving to Kansas where you're going to really see it as you're trying to hit Colorado and it's blinding you, right? On what Morgan Weiss calls the longest on-ramp. I love that, (laughs) The longest on-ramp. It's called, to Colorado, it's called Kansas. So anyway, (laughs) did you all not hear that sermon when she said that? I thought that, I just died laughing. It was hysterical. So remember him and Already, right here, if we just stopped, you've got enough meat to go home and your life be impacted and changed, does it not? Okay, remember your creator in the days of your youth, and we've already said, because death, aging, and death, and dying are coming, and he describes it rather poetically, does he not? A lot of metaphors, a lot of poetry here, which when you first read it, it's, huh, what does that mean? Kind of almost need someone to tell you what it means, that this is what he's describing. Or it seems veiled if you're not used to reading metaphorical poetry type stuff. But when you look at all this language, it's in these verses 2 through 7. How, how does it describe aging, the fact that our bodies are going to age? It is depressing. <laughs> this is the depressing part. Yeah, what does he say about it? Their evil day. He describes it as evil days. Yes. That is depressing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do you all see that? The strong men are bent. And what else, Lynn? Mm-hmm. Shaky hands, lose your teeth, lose your teeth. <laughs> can't see, do you see that, and those who look through the windows are dim, can't hear, yeah, when the sound of the grinding is low, what else, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, y'all know this, come on y'all that are older, what happens in the middle of the night? You wake up, and then you can't go back to sleep, right? You know that 3 o'clock in the morning wake-up thing? What is that about, right? I don't do that. My husband does. <laughs> Wakes up at 3 or 4 and can't go back to sleep, and I hear a lot of other people over 50 complain about, about that. I, I just don't go to sleep. Once I'm asleep, I'm good, I'm good to go. It's just getting there. That's, but that's been a problem since I was in my 20s. I just don't go to sleep. Other descriptions. Other descriptions. Hair turns white. Do you see that? The almond tree blossoms. When the almond tree blossoms, the blooms are white. So the hair grays and turns white. The grasshopper drags itself along. We begin to shuffle, if you get old enough. Yeah, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. And and basically he's saying... You're going to die, You're... and life's going to go on. The mourners go about the street. Life will still go on without you. Yes, Alex? What <laughs> verse is that in? I just read that as you just can't hear as well, the brought low. Can't hear it. It's harder to hear it. Yes. Then look at verse 6. Before the civil court is snapped. And the golden bowl is broken. Or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain. Or the wheel broken at the cistern. Look at those verbs. Did you underline them? If you didn't, look at them. Snapped, broken, shattered, broken. What do those verbs imply? Life is fragile. Life is fragile. There's also a finality there, isn't there? If it's shattered and snapped, there's just a finality that, that that's, it's, just, it's end, it's over. And, and these also, these items are all associated with water, and water, lo, water is a metaphor for life. So life comes to an end, and there's a fina- finality about that. I mean, I know that can sound depressing, but it's just reality as well, and that can depress you or it can motivate you. So other thoughts? Mm-hmm. So that, that, that is the direction we're going. I like this quote. I don't know if you've heard of J. Robertson McQuilkin. Um, he was um, at Columbia Bible College in South Carolina, and he said, I think God has planned the strength and beauty of youth to be physical, but the strength and beauty of age is spiritual. We gradually lose the strength and beauty that is temporary, so we'll be sure to concentrate on that which is eternal. If we stayed young and strong and beautiful, we might never want to leave. That interesting. That's a very good point. We might never want to leave this temporary place. Mm -hmm. So, thoughts on aging? (laughs) Any of our elder statesmen in the room? I looked around the room. Hey, I'm on the downside too. I'll admit it. It's your opportunity to share wisdom. Aging is not for That's what my aunt said. I asked my aunt that once. She's eighty-nine now, she was probably about eighty-five at the time. And she's not one she's one that's always been young at heart. Embraces life, no fear, just enjoy every moment of life, never use the phrase, it's awful getting old, or talked about getting old. But one time I just point blank asked her, I said, you know, you're 85, is is it difficult? She goes, it is the hardest thing I've ever done. This is not for whims. Let me tell you. And then she pointed out the things on her body that were going. And she goes, but I refuse to complain about it. It is what it is. I make the best of what I have, and I'm still going to enjoy the final days that God has given me. So never, never complains about it. She said, it is, it is not for the fearless by any means. So that that's just reality. Yes, ma'am. Yes, being a human being instead of a human doing, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 So I'm going to skip four and five, and if we have time, we're going to come back to those questions because I think they'll, they'll flow into a little bit where I want to end up with this lesson. But we know what the, the preacher's ultimate conclusion is, and I, ask, and I said write it out. I don't know how, something I've been meaning to say for a long time, I don't know how you do your homework. Um, my husband, if this was his homework, um, you can see all the writing on mine. There'd be four or five words on his. But, but I think there's something to actually writing things out. Like when, when I put in here scriptures, I write the whole thing out. I don't just write a capsule. I write it out. And there's something to, for me personally anyway, maybe it's not for you, that writing that scripture, every word of it out, solidifies in my mind. Plus... It makes me think about the words more as I'm writing them. So that's that's just a little bit of a tidbit. If you're not doing that, I would encourage you to to, to start doing that. It takes more time, but but I think it's a worthwhile endeavor if you will do that. So, okay, we remember him as part of the uh, remember is not in the statement about the end of the matter, but it's incorporated in that. And then we also we fear. God. So let's talk about what does it mean to fear God. You looked at a lot of verses there that I gave you. What of those verses, what stood out? Was there any one in particular that, wow, this one moves me to think about what this concept is of fearing God? Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and then it also the beginning of wisdom? Yes. You want to be wise, fear the Lord. Mm-hmm. There is no other way. There's the world's wisdom. We know we, we, we get a dose of that every day, everywhere we go, billboards, TV, media, and there's God's wisdom. Mm-hmm. Other thoughts on the fear of the Lord. What does it mean to fear God? Yes ma'am. No. Yes. Yes. Yes, I love what Lucia mm-hmm. It is um, to fear God is reverential awe. I like that. I like that. Take him seriously. It's not being scared. You know, we have too much um, wrapped up in our, our conceptions of what fear is. It's reverential awe. It's taking him seriously. It is being just awestruck by who he is as God, as creator, as someone said over here, omniscient and omnipotent, eternal, holy, righteous, all of those things that are characteristic of who he is. I think about um, my happy place is obviously not the beach, but but the, the mountains. And I loved, I loved the Smoky Mountains, but I really love the Rocky Mountains. And when I'm up in those mountains, I really feel close to God because they, they are so majestic. They're overwhelming. I feel so tiny and small in that environment, and it gives me such a sense of the greatness of God when I look out at the majesty of those, of those huge 14ers, um, it, it's amazing to me. And I get a sense of, wow, God, you are much bigger and much greater than me and worthy of worship. And, and I worship him there. So I think that's so what it means, fear God. Yes, ma'am. I love that you said that, a healthy fear. Did you hear, Kim? There's a bit of a healthy fear. I want to, and I'm glad you qualified it because there are people, I have met them, and there may be someone like that in here that they really struggle with a sense of fearing God and can never please him and just live in, in a constant state of anxiety, and that's not what we're talking about here. God doesn't intend for you to live in that place but I like what you said, a healthy fear, the fact that he is God and we are not. And he can command the universe. I think of our lesson last week in Job 1. When Job continues to question God and wanting God to give an account of why are these things happening to me, and what does God say to Job? Do you remember what he said? Yeah, dress like a man. And I will question you, were you there? Were you there when I spoke? Spread out the heavens and the earth. Can you do these things? Can can you make? Can you open the storehouses of the snow in the hell? Do you know where they are? That is a healthy fear. That I I am. I am above. I am above time and eternity, and I I am God. So, so yeah, I I can speak, and you're gone. In the same way that I spoke, and you're here. So have a, a, a bit of reverential healthy fear of of who I am. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing I have
1: always kind of thought of, because it's obedience. You know, mm-hmm. like in verse 13, it says, fear God and keep his commandments. Mm-hmm. And that's repeated in the Bible mm-hmm. throughout.
0: So it's mm-hmm. obedience. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I, would, I, would, uh, I would kind of put it over here. Keep his commandments. It's an outgrowth. How's that? I'm the teacher.
1: That's
0: right. I, I can do what I want. <laughs> yeah, keep his fear God. And as I fear him, and as I have a that healthy sense of who he is, then it should result in keeping his commandments. But I am just to keep his commandments. I am to obey his word. Mm-hmm. I like that. The fear of God involves trusting him. And, you know, I'd even tie that. If I trust him, I don't think it's hard to keep his commandments.
1: What about love? Where that fit?
0: Love God. Would, would that fit? Um, oh, it's just, just, that's just the whole thing. love God. My pers- I mean, I think when you know him for who he is, yes, you, you fear him with that healthy sense of fear, that reverential awe, but when you also know him for who he is, you then also know what he has done for you. How can that not result in love? I would put it, keep his command, I would also put it right here, love God. Because what does the word of God tell us about love and keeping his commandments? Didn't we have a verse on that? There's also what? It it is it is our duty. You know, both of these. It's it's the whole it's the whole duty of man. Okay, I'm thinking that the very last one of the last questions on keeping this command. First John five three. Do you remember that? On page 35, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. You love him. You say you love him, but you don't obey him, then, then you're lying. If you love him, you will obey him. If you have, you loved your father, right, Kim? See, so you had a healthy fear of him, but some of that tied up in that healthy fear here is intermingled with that as is a, is a love, that I don't want to displease him. I don't want to let him down. I, I want him to be pleased with me, that, that, that love. I'm not wording that very well, but you all know what I'm saying. Yes, Ron? Was, uh, with,
1: with also, respect, God. Mm-hmm.
0: Feeling, right. That's that, to me, that goes closely with the reverential awe and fear is I, respect, I have a sense of respect of him because of who he is and who I am in relationship to him. Mm-hmm. He is the creator. I'm the created. So I will have respect for him in that role. Mm-hmm. Excellent thoughts. You all are thinking. Great. Because what does it say right after that? What is, what is the verse right after that? The, after the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. What comes right after that? It's, it's saying exactly what you're saying, Lynn. He has the ultimate standing. The ultimate standing is who? He's going to bring everything to judgment. Yes. He, he, is, he, is, he is the creator, but he is also judge. It's all coming down to that, exactly. Because it says, for God will bring every deed into judgment for every secret thing, whether good or evil. There is a day of judgment. You looked at a, you looked at a few verses about that. Ecclesiastes had already made some comments about judgment in three seventeen and eleven nine. When you went back and looked at those verses, how did they illuminate this, this whole concept of judgment? God will what? Look in 3.7. 3.17. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and every work. Fear God and keep his commandments for, notice that word for, <coughs> it's tying it together. Why why fear God and keep his commandments? Why remember your creator in the days of your youth? Why remember your creator in all your days? Because one day there's a reckoning, one day there is a judgment, because he is judge and he will judge. Ecclesiastes 11.9, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Go ahead and do that. That's just fine. Go ahead and do that. But just remember, there will be a day of judgment for what you are doing. Right? What do we tend to do when we're young? They make they, uh, they lose it. Yeah, they lose it everything and, and they just kinda of think that they want to
1: uh they want to fit in but they don't want to fit in everything, but they don't want to stand out and, and, and be uh, I don't know. Never
0: I never mind, I shouldn't No, I think it's great. Do you, those of you Mark Tower, your son? Yes. He calls it the dinosaur stage? Yes. Big bodies, little brains. <laughs> 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 yeah. Big bodies, little brains, is that, that you know, hit about 13 up until, you know, through college, right? Everybody been there? Even my young table over here, back there? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Think about the days of, just, you guys are old enough to be older, older people. Think about the days of your youth. What's different now? A lot of maturity. A lot of maturity. A lot of life experiences. More life experiences that make you realize the foolish things that you did when you were young. So you're not. Don't do that. Mhm. 2 <laughs> Corinthians five, six through 11. You cross-reference over to here in the New Testament. And what did you learn there? Our purpose is to please God. Mhm. Everything we do, Everything we, do, we'll we stand him. Yeah, we make it our aim to please him. To fear God and keep his commandments. Keep, you know, remember our Creator. Focus on him, not ourselves. Our aim is to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. I like the, the phrase, coram deo, under the face of God. Live your life under the face of God. That he is, he is, he is omnipresent. He is there, that he is watching. And, and don't, I would say don't live for the day when he will reveal, and he, there will be the judgment for everything good and evil, that, that he's seeing it right now. Under his face, we live. Under his presence, we live and breathe. And he sees everything we do and say. And he even sees what's in our heart that we think that we have hidden from everybody else. Out, right? You know, I think we think of judgment that uh, it's going to judge all the bad things. But here it makes it clear. In, in every good. And mm-hmm. I remember a lady when I was young, a lady nurturer said something I'll never forget. She said, I don't believe that I will, that, that I, uh, you know, have
1: any fear for my sense of commission. She you know, try to it the best I can. But she said, I'm I concerned about her own mission.
0: The sense That's of, a, of a, yeah. Should have done. done, done, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're not Presbyterians in here, but if we were, we would know the Westminster Confession. But I know all of you all know this. One of the questions what is the chief end of man? To glorify God God. and enjoy Him forever. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Forever, I think that sums up a lot of Ecclesiastes. I remembered that yesterday in talking to a friend of mine who is. She goes, "We're going to make a Presbyterian out of you yet, Nancy." I said, "No, Cindy, you're not, but that's okay. <laughs> I love you anyway." <laughs> yeah, to to um, glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That is the end of the matter. That that is the opportunity we have now. To um, begin, Did did you read this quote that I put in here? It's from a pastor, I don't know where he is, went to Dallas Theological. We all face the above realities unless we die young or Christ returns. Therefore, it is critical that we set goals and live while we are dying. We can live the rest of our life young at heart. We must recognize that we're not really old until we abandon our purpose and mission in life. You're not ready to live until you're ready to die. Settle attorney eternal issues, and throw yourself into life. Do you love that? Throw yourself into life and be like the wise teacher. We have time to be like the wise preacher. What does he say in verse 8? He restates his claim that all is vanity, but look what he says. Look what he says in 9 and 10, in some of these verses, besides being wise... The preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails, firmly fixed on the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books. There is no end, and much study is weariness of flesh. College students love that, don't they, Catherine? But... um, so what is he saying here when, when he is making these statements? He's is the preacher. He is the teacher. But, but how? I asked you that question. I had you look at Ezra 7.10 where Ezra had set in his heart to study the law of the Lord, to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. You, we're, none of us in here except Jim are in full-time paid ministry. But how are we all in ministry? How can we take his example? And put that to work in our life. Yes, Annetta? One of those questions that the Holy Spirit really hit me hard on. Really?
1: We may not be called to teach it to someone else, but we are called to live it out mm-hmm. the best way we can with the knowledge that we have. So we should continually seek that knowledge. She'll continue to seek knowledge about being a civil engineer mm-hmm. so that she can be a good one. Mm-hmm. And if I'm going to be a good Christ follower, I have to seek that knowledge, and seek true knowledge.
0: And and I, w- I would challenge you on we're not called to teach. Are you called to teach? What are you doing with those college girls? Anetta, I I'm, um, feel like
1: more like I'm mentoring.
0: That's teaching. <laughs> but
1: it's you
0: know, it's not a, OK, it's you're mentoring. OK, Let, I, I'm going to go with you. You're mentoring. You're not, te- you're not doing what Jim and I and other people do, where I, I'm preparing to, to exegete this text and walk you all through it and, and have, hopefully, right answers to your questions. But in the mentoring, do you not have the opportunity To find words of delight, upright words of truth, wise words, like goads. What does a goad do? Prod the animal in the direction you want it to go. So can you not choose your words in a way that it's going to prod those people you're mentoring to go in in a direction that is um, living for Christ? like nails firmly fixed. What do the nails do? The shepherd put the nails in the tent to secure it into the ground to give it a foundation so it wouldn't blow away. So, so even in your mentoring, that's what I want to challenge all of you. Maybe you're not formal teachers, and a lot of people to say, I'm a teacher is frightening, and I understand that. But you are mentors. You do disciple people. Uh, just about everybody in here has children or grandchildren. So so every encounter with your words is an opportunity to do these things and have an impact on them. But I can't have a good impact if I don't know. Can I have a good impact if I don't know? Can I have a good impact if I don't know who my God is if I don't fear him and keep his commandments? Because that is the beginning of knowledge and the beginning of wisdom, to then have the goad and the nails to use. But we all have this opportunity. It's... it, it the. This is what I mean, the difference between reading something on the surface and reading it at a deeper level. Reading it on the surface, we say, isn't this great? This is what Solomon did and how wise he is. But reading it on the next level is, how can I do that in the arena in which God has called me and the opportunities that he has given me? I love this lesson. I turned 60 last month. I don't... Uh, Jim likes to talk about getting old, but um, I, don't worship I know you do. And I have always embraced every age and just looked forward to the next one. But I have to say that this one was like a slap of reality. You you really are on the downside, and and it's in. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> So, choose how you want to live. I mean, it really has been a choose how I want to live. Am I doing the things I want to do? Am I living for Christ the way I want to live? You know, am, am I, as, as Annette said, I, am I the Christian I want to be? I mean, I was already kind of reflecting. I'm, I'm always trying to reflect in that way anyway, but that was a dose of reality to think about it even more. And that's probably why this lesson... I got so excited about it. It resounded really, really well with me because it's right where I am anyway. And so I, I just loved this, this chapter. But um, here's something I wish I'd put in your lesson, but I thought of later. And I called some people yesterday. Some of them are in here. Some of them are not. And everybody's going to remain anonymous. But um, two, I asked two questions. Well, for the first one I... When the first couple of people I called, I kind of asked it wrong and then I changed it. But I said... If you could go back and have a do-over, knowing now, knowing what you know now, what would you do differently? And then I also said, what, what would you want someone younger to know? And I don't care how young you are in here. You are an older person to someone else. Elizabeth Elliot. do you all know who Elizabeth Elliott is? I got to go see her once. It was about 30 years ago in Oklahoma City. She was at Metropolitan Baptist Church. And I loved what she said. Uh, it was, Of course, it was a group of women, but she said every woman in here is an older woman. The, the only person who's not an older person in here right now is Caleb. <laughs> but, but if you are 10, there is someone 8. If you are 15, there is someone 10. If you are 28, there is someone 20. There's always someone you know, that you are older to, that you have more life wisdom than them, and that you, you can share. So can I share some of the things people said? This was really interesting. It really, really interesting. And part of what was interesting is the number of people who just immediately had an answer. And these were this was a span of ages of about 40 years of the people I called. I called more, but I didn't have time. One person said, as I get older, I realize that I weather the difficulties better. In some ways, life gets easier, and that's what I'd want someone else to know. And she said, what I wish I'd done differently is I wish I'd spoken up more. When I had opportunities, when someone was questioning who Christ is, and, and I remained silent because I didn't realize in my youth that I could say something and it not necessarily be controversial, combative, but I could speak up. Somebody else said, I, I, I would be more patient, especially with unbelievers, if I could go back. She said when she was young, um, everything was so black and white. And so uh, there was more of an attitude of judgmentalness and wish I had been much more gracious to, the un- to, to unbelievers and less judgmental of them. And, and she said what she tells the young people in her life is be gracious, live graciously. Don't be harsh when you look at other people's situation, like how they're parenting or how they are aging or how they're handling their situation, because someday you may find out you're in the exact same situation. You may end up right where they are as, as you live life longer. We don't realize those things when we're really, really young. Um, and she also said that she tries to live, am I making the most of the opportunities I have been given to make them count for the Lord? Well, that's a good one to stand by, in not Um, Someone else said, having gone through a really difficult situation at a church that caused them to just leave the church for a while uh, because of the pain and the hurt, really listen and stay close to God. Seek advice from godly people. It is easy to let Satan take charge and not hear what the Lord is telling you. You may need the Lord to bring people to help you see the way through so you don't get lost in what's happening. And I, I would always echo, seek godly counsel. Absolutely. I love this one. Ask God what you can be thankful for when the bad stuff happens and be open to the answers he gives. Look for a different perspective on the situation. Give it some time. Let God speak. There is a different perspective. There is a silver lining. Um, This one was good, lighthearted. She said, oh, I know exactly. She mentors to younger women. She goes, have fun, ask lots of questions, and don't believe everything you hear. (laughs) And and her regret was be far more gracious, especially to her children. She said, "I remember the times I irritated at him and raised my voice or yelled at him." And she said, I, "I would parent differently if I could have a do-over." I had a lot of people say that. I had a lot of people say, "I would parent I would parent differently if if I had a do-over." Um, this one was the best. Be more serious. She goes, I wish I would be more serious. She goes, I was here for the party far too long. Life goes really, really fast. And she has a lot of regrets with choices she made and things she did. She also said, though, have courage, do what scares you. But I love this when she said, be more serious. She was here for the party far too long. She said, there was no one who challenged me to come up higher in my walk with the Lord. All I knew was, you are a Christian, be good. But I didn't know the motivation for being good. She goes, find out, find, seek out a godly person who can help you see that the story is bigger than you. This is where she nailed it. Time is moving forward. It is a dynamic story. It is not history. God is at work as much now as he was when he encountered Abraham and called him out. He is at much work now as when Christ hung on the cross. And died and that curtain was torn and true from top to bottom. He is still at much, as much work. You are in the thick of it, you are in the middle of the action. We are part of the redemptive story. Are you passively empowering Satan's cause? Or are you empowering Christ's cause? You cannot passively impact Christ's cause. You can only actively do it. Which remember, all this is active. These are all active verbs. <coughs> And because she said, she, goes, she has a daughter that's not working with the Lord. She goes, you know, if I could have told my daughter these things right out of the gate, how might she be different? How might she be living differently? And I love this, too. She said, you know, God can redeem what the locust has eaten. When she talked about the things she had done in her life that she regrets, and, and one that she did that she, she regrets, but the fruit of it was good, is she has a child out of wedlock. And she said, um, he can redeem it. Share what you know. My redemption is to give to others what I did not know when I was younger. She goes, my redemption is to communicate the message that you are a part of God's redemptive story. God is active now. He is moving forward. How are you going to be a part of that story? That was wisdom. That was amazing what she shared. Amen? How are you going to be a part of his story? How are you going to live your life if today was, you know, today was the last day? It didn't matter how many years you have left. What are you going to do with the years that you do have left? Make them count. Thoughts, comments?
2: I would like to, uh, I'd like to piggyback off of uh, something that Nancy did. And I was already going to go here, but I want to kind of use it now as my introduction. Um, my opening line that I plan to share with you is, um, isn't wisdom a wonderful and tricky and dangerous thing? So Nancy hand-selected some people. Uh, I'm not saying she had a, like, a, like an overt bias, but she hand-selected some people and said, what, what wisdom would you like to, would you like to impart? Like, what, what, what's, looking back on your life, what wisdom would you like to impart? And it's funny because I could almost tell you now that I'm old, I could almost tell you exactly what they were going to say, right? Oh, yeah, be more patient with your kids. I've heard that one before, right? And so you kind of go back. By the way, all those things are true. But one of the thoughts that I've had is, you know, if you really catch me and you don't just ask me for my first thought, but you say, no, I want you to really think about what you would do different. I think I would add, like I'd be more strict with my kids. Like, I let, I let go of a lot of time. I don't not even the only parent. I'm sure all of you guys were way too hard, and you never let your kids get away with anything. But honestly, if I, if I spend more time reflecting upon that, and I would go, yeah, at first, I get it. At first, my, my first response would probably be something like, yeah, I'd be more relaxed. I, I wouldn't make everything such a big deal. I would probably say that to you. But I saw some pain that my children caused in themselves and in others and particularly in my wife that was caused by me being too lax as a parent. So let me add some wisdom. What we really should be is uh, more scrutinous, more on top of, like more critical with your children. Oh, <laughs> well, Wait, no, 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 no. You have to pick which one do you want. Isn't the answer, much of the times, yes? See, that's the, that's the, the depths of, uh, of, of wisdom, is that it really kind of depends on where you're coming from. Like, I mean, it's very interesting, because when I give advice to people, and I love to give advice, by the way, it's interesting what they, what they spend, what I spend, but it's they right now, what they spend most of their time doing is like judging my words in their life's context and evaluating whether or not they agree or disagree based on their life's perspective. Which, by the way, really isn't wisdom. It's just me saying, when I say, you need to be harder on your kids. Well, I wasn't hard. This is what's going through their minds. I wasn't hard on my kids. I don't want to feel bad about not being hard on my kids. And so I'm going to disagree with you. I think you're wrong. Like, that's not wisdom. By the way, you could easily switch it around, right? I could have easily picked the other side. And so... What do you do with wisdom? What do you do with a book like, and and by the way, let's think of the wisdom books, okay? Because this isn't just about chapter 12, and it's not just about Ecclesiastes. What we care about in this class is, so how do we interpret? How do we apply wisdom literature? So you've got Proverbs. You've got Ecclesiastes. You have Song of Songs, which I know might sound strange to you, but that's that's a wisdom-type book, okay? Any other ones that you can think of? Proverbs. How about, um, when you think of New Testament, what are the wisdom books? And, And again, not necessarily in the same way that Proverbs or in the same way that Ecclesiastes. There are two that jump out as wisdom genre, think Jewish. Gospel of, think Jewish, Matthew. Matthew's the Jewish gospel, more, more, more so, I should say. It's not the only Jewish gospel, but it's the more so. So a lot of the, a lot of the Sermon on the Mount is, comes as wisdom literature. It has a proverbial feel to it. A lot of the teachings of Jesus, a lot of the comments by Matthew, the writer, come as wisdom to, to you. The kingdom of heaven, do you know what it's like? Like these are found virtually just in Matthew. Kingdom of heaven is like a, it's like a, a treasure, that a man finds in a field. And he goes and he sells everything and he buys it. You know, and my thought after that is, okay, great. What, what is the kingdom of heaven like again? It's like a what? Right? And it's kind of like, it's like this treasure. Okay, but what is that treasure? Like it does not, it's not interested in asking that question. It's like a proverb. It's, it, it just gives you something. And like what I love about wisdom literature is not only is it like wonderful and insightful and helpful and then like dangerous and complicated, is because discernment is going to be needed in it. And that's one of the things that we really don't want to deal with. We don't want to actually, interestingly enough, we don't want to deal with the wisdom of being wise. That, that wisdom for us becomes another, another, like a, another quick, another technique to life. It's not, it's not a process. It's like, so what do I got to do to get, like, underweight or a normal weight? What do I need to do? Because, I mean, I've got a day to get there. Uh, you can't do that in a day. No, but I don't, I don't have, A, I don't have time, and B, um, there's a, I won't say what show it is because it's The Office, and you may think bad of me for watching a couple of those episodes, but there's a great scene when Michael walks into Pam and says, hey, I would really like, um, I saw somebody else adopt a kid. I really would like a kid. Can you go on the internet and see what it would take to get a kid? And she starts freaking out, because I don't know if you know Michael. He should not have a child, ever. (laughs) And so she said, well, Michael, literally, um, you you need to kind of slow down to adopt a child. First of all, they're really expensive, knowing he's cheap. They're really, really expensive, like my, 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 my brother and his wife are trying to adopt a child, and it, it's costing them thousands of dollars. Ooh, thousands of dollars. See so if you can find me a cheap one, maybe a Chinese baby. Uh, I, I think I got about 800 bucks, you know? And that, that was what he said to her. And then she said to him, and I thought this was so interesting. She said to him, but Michael, the, the second thing, knowing he's also very impatient... And knowing how fleeting his mind is. She said, and Michael, the other thing is it takes a really, really long time to adopt a child. Like my brother and his wife have been waiting for months, almost years to have a child. And he goes, months. I don't even know if I'm going to want the kid in eight months. <laughs> and literally we laugh at that. But do you get, the, do you get honestly like the wisdom in that interchange? I really would like a child. I don't want it to be expensive. And I really, I am not even know if I'm going to want the child in eight months. What's wrong with that statement? Well, then you don't want the child. No, no, I, I, I really do want the child. I just don't know if I want like everything that comes with the child. And I think the, the, the part that I want you to catch is what Solomon is doing, um, what the other great writers are doing is they're, they're, they're kind of throwing that at you a little bit. They're not just saying, hey, do you want some quick wisdom? It's, do you want the wise life? Do you want, um, do you want the ability to discern? Because if you're just looking for something to drop down into your life, which so often we are, especially in our tweetable world, we just want deposited truth. I want deposited, easy, um, kind of let me go on with my life kind of a scenario And one of those things like wisdom doesn't come like that. It does not happen like that. So as much as my father would say to me, and you've heard me say this a million times, my dad would just say, son, 30, 30, 30, 30, 31 days in a month, 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs, one chapter a day for the rest of your life, do that. Okay? And I've done it occasionally. You know, like when I'm looking for some tips. But my dad was saying, no, 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 son, what I'm telling you is, one proverb every day for the rest of your life. It's like a vitamin. And you know what I do? <clears throat> when I start feeling sick, I take some vitamins. For like maybe two or three days. You're a doctor. Is that a good idea? Two or three days, I take them. <laughs> it won't hurt me. Yeah. But, but anybody worth their salt would say, but that's really not kind of the way our bodies were wired. Like that's really not health. That might help you. It definitely doesn't hurt you. But that's not what it is, and how many of us treat the Bible, and and, and particularly, so the Bible in general, but wisdom literature in particular, as more of a vitamin, because I think I have a scratchy throat, and I'm just telling you, it doesn't work like that. It it doesn't. If anything, you'll get frustrated by it. Maybe some of your frustration with life is what you are trying to do. Um, The World Series is about to start, and so I thought I would use this as kind of our you know, we've got uh, the Astros and we've got the Dodgers. Can I spell that right? When I capitalize things. I don't know how to spell anymore. It's weird. Okay. We have the Astros and the Dodgers. And we have all these innings, right? And so there'll be a game. And I don't know if you guys are, I'm a more of an AL guy. And so uh, in the end, that's the score 3 1. Astros. yeah, no, no, I okay. So 3-1 Astros. That's, I'm not saying it's the final score. Don't worry. The Dodgers will come back and win or lose, whichever one you want. Okay. So that's, that's kind of what's happening. And honestly, what we, kind of, we, we kind of want life to be like that. And so we're always trying to keep score. Always trying to keep, what's the score? What's the score? What's the score? And, and what wisdom literature does is literature, uh, wisdom literature kind of says, not what's the score, but it loves to ask this. What inning is it? I want to give you kind of a paradigm way to think. It really doesn't answer. It doesn't answer what the score is. Because what if I said, hey, the score is 3-1. Oh, well, that's great. I'm an, I'm an Astros fan. Okay, great. I mean, I'm, I'm glad you're excited. And if you're, I tell you the score is 3-1, what if I tell you it's 3-1 and it's the first inning? Well, you can still go, well, I'm glad. Wow, 3-1. If it keeps going like this, we're going to win 27-9. to But you know it doesn't work like that, does it? That's not how it works. And so when I tell you the inning, and that's what wisdom literature does. Wisdom literature comes to us and says, like, I want you to understand the inning. I want you to understand kind of how, what, what game we're even playing. Instead of innings or quarters or periods? How does this game work? Halves? What, what is this game that we're playing? And wisdom literature comes along and it forces us. Uh, honestly, in light of chapter 12, what it forces us to do is kind of recognize the difference between the fundamental difference between what God ultimately wants, what God is ultimately doing, what God is ultimately how he is working, and then our role in the game, right? And I think that's one of the best lessons of wisdom literature. I mean, if you think about it, the book of, the book of Ecclesiastes has this as its major paradigm. What? Everything under the sun is vanity, meaningless, literally ruach, like a breath. It's just, it's fleeting, it's... And, and, and all of those are critical, by the way. That what the, what, the book of, what the book of Ecclesiastes is describing is life under the sun. So that's what it's describing. Life under the sun. If you, don't, if you don't understand that, then you're kind of going, wow, like, how is this true? And how does this work? No, life under the sun. Because is it true that everything is meaningless? And the answer is, well, it depends on what you mean by that. Much like, what's the score of the game? Much like, well, if you want to ask me what I would do different as a parent or what I would do different as a husband. I mean, how many of you, when, it heard, when you heard the statement, man, I would be more serious. I would take my life more seriously. Okay? I, I, when I first heard that, my first response was, yeah, I probably should too. And you're looking at me going, yeah, you really should, Jim. <laughs> Everything is a joke to you. You really should take it more seriously. That was my first thought was, yeah, I'd probably say that. I'd probably say that. But I'll be honest. I know some of you, and that's actually your problem. Your problem is you're taking it too seriously. So do you see how wisdom kind of comes? And wisdom, I, I love this. Like wisdom, if, if it does anything, what it does is it, it, it kind of interprets us. Right? And it's not the only thing. God's word does that. God's word is this sharp, double edged sword dividing everything, knowing the intent of the heart. God's word acts like that. Wisdom literature acts like that. It it interprets us, it exposes us. That's why when you hear wisdom literature or you read it, when I read wisdom literature, by the time I'm done, I feel like I'm the fool. And that's painful. I feel like I'm the fool. Wait a second. I was, I was just kind of reading a book, and now I find out that I'm the fool because it describes foolish things I do. And so wisdom literature comes like this. we got to be really careful just to pause to get in our life. Raise up a child in the way that they will go, and when they are old, they will not depart. Right? Where does that become so dangerous? You know what becomes dangerous? Is when we take that wisdom about life under the sun, and then we begin to use it not as wisdom, not as wisdom literature, not as a general, short, pithy statement that is generally true about life, and we read it like it's more than it is. And when we do that, we do harm to us, and we do harm to others. We do harm to our faith. We get in the way of God's plan for us, which is fascinating. It's like, well, what went wrong? I thought you gave me some great advice. I did give you some great advice, but you do know that what I gave you was advice. So last night, do you guys remember Bradford Bolt, an amazing musician? Um, So he has found a young lady that he's marrying. And they are both, they just seem wonderful. Her name is Lauren. Um, He's now on the East Coast working for some company in the aerospace industry. And just a wonderful young man, originally from Jamaica, so you might remember him. Uh, He looked a little bit different than everybody but Ryan Crawford, who was our wonderful pianist, who now is a music minister in Tulsa. So uh, Ryan and and Bradford were good friends, and so I did Ryan and and Devin's wedding, and now I'm doing, uh, or I'm at least doing the premarital for for Bradford and for Lauren. And I'm sitting down, we're kind of doing this on on, uh, FaceTime and I'm talking to them, and I'm realizing, hey, I don't know this woman, and I'm giving advice, and I'm beginning to, and maybe it's because I was thinking of this lesson. Good or bad idea to allow your children to watch you and your spouse argue and fight? I'd love to ask that question. Sure. And then someone says, yeah, I love that because I really want to show my son how to put a woman in her place. (laughs) Or I really want my children to know that even though the men may think they rule the place, but really I'm the one that wears the pants in this family. Like maybe it's best you don't, right? So what's the answer? And so as I was listening and I'm asking them their thoughts, and before I said mine, I thought, wow, like Lauren really doesn't know me. She doesn't know, like, what I bring to the table. Like, Bradford might be able to explain that, but here's one thing very interesting about wisdom literature is that you really have to be careful. You have to kind of... Nancy said this. She likes to say everything this way. I'm not going to say anybody who this is. I'm going to hide all of the... Infra- no person will ever be known who they are. That's kind of Nancy's modus operandi. <laughs> uh, nobody will ever know anything about anybody in any way, shape, or form, okay? Oh, I, I'm sure it is. I'm not, it's not just you. It's, 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 it's culture. I'm sure they were very random. So as, um, so here's, and I, mean, and I mean that, I'm sure they were very random. So, but here's what's interesting is like what we're actually finding out is like, that's one of the worst ways to get advice. To, to randomly allow people to say stuff is kind of like, wow, that may not be the best kind. again, not that they are good things, but it's like, who gave me that advice? And that, do you see again the danger? Should I allow my children to watch me fight as a parent? Question number one, are you a Christian? Question number two, how do you fight? Question number three, how old are your kids? Question number four, right? I mean, too many questions are needed. And so I really was aware of this, in part because of this lesson today, in part because I didn't know Lauren, in part because I knew Bradford so well, and in part because as I get older, I'm becoming a little more careful with my advice giving because I've just seen it misused. I've seen it run with. People, oh, I love that. I'm going to use it. And I'm like, oh, I wish I hadn't told you that because you're going to ruin that idea. Right? Train up a child in the way that they will go, and when they are old, they, are not, they will not depart. Awesome. Well, I'm going to totally manipulate and control my children. Wow, you so don't. You see what I mean? So what you need to do, and that's, I love this idea of what wisdom literature says is what score, what, 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 what inning is it? What game are we playing? Remember that it's only the second inning or it's only the fifth inning or it's even only the eighth inning. Don't worry. Look who gets to bat last. Right? All those things are necessary in order for me to interpret it. Two quick things, and then I'm going to kind of wrap this up. Turn to, before we do, we're going to, we're going to end up in, uh, in, in one of the books, or one of the chapters of Ecclesiastes. But before we get there, go to, go to Proverbs. And, and I love, you need to keep these side by side. I love these two, um, these two proverbial statements side by side. It's Proverbs chapter 26. You know the verses? Four and five. Okay, Proverbs chapter 26, Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5. And what's interesting is, you're, you'll quickly, maybe you've already seen this, right? What it says is this, verse 4, Answer not a fool, according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Basically, If Jim's going to be an idiot and argue with you, don't argue with him. You'll just end up a fool like him. You hear that? How many of you go, wow, that's good advice? It really is good advice. That was my dad. My dad loved this one. My dad loved this. I would say something dumb and my dad would just go, oh. And he would walk off. Dad, what do you think about that? And my dad would say, answer not a fool, son. And he'd walk off. I'll tell you, you might go, I don't know if that's a good idea. It, you know what it did? It made me realize, I think I was talking stupidly. Like, I think I was really irresponsible with what I just said. Like, it just, it spoke volumes to me. That's how he would do it. He would literally raise his hand, answer not a fool. And it was so weird because now I can't go debate him, can I? It's done. Answer not a fool, son. So is that, is that, is that a good proverb? Should you follow that answer? Yes. It's in the Bible, right? It's in the Bible. We should follow it. It's in the Bible. Okay, well, great. Let's keep reading the Bible. Verse 5. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. I I remember a number of times that my dad didn't follow rule number one, but he followed rule number two, which is, my dad loved to say, you know what you'd do if you were smart? <laughs> and then he'd say what he would do, right? You know what you'd do if you were smart? Son, you know what's wrong with what you just said? You know what's wrong with what you're thinking? Can I tell you, like, why you're being foolish in that, in that instance, son? You know, and one thing, I, I, now that I get older, I should have gone, answer not a fool, but I didn't. Never said that. So which is true, four or five? You know the answer, right? Yes. So isn't the million-dollar question, when do you use four and when do you use five? And here's what's interesting. Are you ready for this? You know the answer to that? Let's let's, let's, let's talk about that a little bit. And and by the way, don't try to just get the right answer. Let's talk about this. Let's let's play with this a little bit. When do you know when to use four and when to use five? Or how do you know when to use four and when to use five? By, By the way, first of all, let me do this. Answer not, that's four. Answer, that's five. Which one is you? I want you to think. Which one, and please don't be the person who goes, I'm perfectly both. Spare me. Are you more a answer not, or are you more of a, oh yeah, let me tell you what you'd do if you were smart. Which one are you, okay? Four, not five. You're going after it. Four or Five. Too slow. Four or five, five? Five. Four. Five. Five. These are people answering. Five. The fours are all gonna stay quiet. <laughs> yes, exactly. Fours are gonna wonder. That's my new answer. If you take too long, you're a four. <laughs> I love that. I would say both, well, but I'm wrong when I do. <laughs> <laughs> four. I yeah, four. Mar- I can see Marilyn being like, right? Answer not a fool. Five. Four. 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 Five. five yeah, Lynn's a 12. <laughs> and we love her for it. Five, Five. Five. five four. Four. Five. five. I can see that. <laughs> I can totally see that. Four. A five. Five. Randy's a five. She, Randy loved it when she was a five with me. She really was. I, I really enjoyed. when Randy was my assistant for years, she loved to come in to kind of set me straight. And actually, I loved her being able to come in and feeling free to come in and set me straight. Four or five? Five. 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 Four. Five. 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 What's Larry? Oh, four. Larry's a four. I was going to say, I, I think I saw that same thing. It's interesting how our husbands and wives are, are different, right? My wife, is, my wife is far more of a four than a five. I'm a five. Brenda? Four. 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 Five. Five. So you by the way, with Genevieve, you can be sweet and be a five. Right? Is that not awesome? You can be a sweet version. You can be a sweet version of five. Like I'm not. I know. I work really hard. I, to listen, l- l- but I'm we're really com- hard Sure, no, no, but the good news is we're comparing everybody to Genevieve, so we can all say we're not. Right, Nancy? I mean in truth, we're c- the comparison is Genevieve. Five. You're a five. Five. Four. Four. Five five. Five, yes. Larry? What's Larry? What, what's Larry? Yeah. That's a good question. <laughs> yeah, he's whatever she tells him. Four or five? I'm a five. Larry, five four. 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 Steve, what are you? Steve's a five. Steve's a sweet five, too. Um, so let's, let's think about that for a moment. I mean, so do you notice how a little bit of that becomes personality? Which, by the way, let me me tell you this. Like, if personality is what drives that, that's not wisdom. Think about that. If personality is what drives it, then that's no longer wisdom. That no longer takes discernment. If your answer is, yeah, I just don't do that. Well, but I'm not asking you what you do. I'm asking, should you do that? Which, by the way, that doesn't mean four should always be fives or five should always be. It's not that. It's just, I need more information. So Genevieve is a five. But if I were to say, Genevieve, are you always a five? Jennifer would say, well, no, 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 I'm not always a five. Or sometimes I'm not. Sometimes I'm a four. But you asked me, Jim, what I am, kind of what my bent is. My bent is five. And therefore, can I tell you, just this is, a, again, this is wisdom, and I want to be careful giving that to you. I love to pray, God, give me wisdom when I need to not be me. Right? Give me wisdom, because I seem to gravitate towards five. God, I need you to step in to keep me from being a five when I'm supposed to be a four, because that's kind of my natural bent. My natural bent is five. Interestingly, as I get old, I become a four. Can I tell you what I have to be careful of, for those of you that are getting old with me? I have found that some of my four just comes from a lack of caring as much as I used to. And again, that's not wisdom. That's not of Christ. I know a lot of people that are just like, you know what, I'm just tired of helping you. I'm tired of it. I just give up. Is that, is that wisdom? That's not wisdom either. So again, um, we lean into, we push into what the Proverbs teach us, which is a much larger way of life. What I love is, um, one, of the, one of the reasons why uh, you'll very seldom see us actually teach I mean, can you imagine the mess of a series exegetically verse by verse through the book of Proverbs? That would be nuts. And you want to know why? Because I tell everybody, whenever, whenever I or Nancy or Brenda or whoever teaches hermeneutics, right, the science and study of interpretation, art and science of interpretation, what do we say? Read the verse in its context. The problem with Proverbs is... They don't have a context, for the most part. They have a, sometimes they'll have a general context, right? But ordinarily, they don't have a context. They really are short statements, bullets of truth. They kind of are that. So you really got to be careful once you get a kind of a context. Now, by the way, th- that becomes more of the genre than it does the specific wordings of paragraphs and sentences. Does that make sense? So do you see, like, one of the difficulties? Therefore, you almost... Um, You almost need the way of life to be able to know how to deal with a four or a five. You almost have to have the wisdom to be able to use the wisdom. It's a little bit of the chicken or the egg, cart or horse kind of scenario, right? Or wrongly getting the cart in front of the horse, I should say. Um, I I, I learned this kind of generally speaking in my life um, when my answer to becoming Ryan Smith is buying the tools that Ryan Smith has. Okay, like recently, because I knew I was going to be doing a lot of remodeling my house. I didn't want to just go over to Ryan's house every day since I moved now far from Ryan's house. He'd be more than glad to lend me the tools. But I said, no, I'm going to buy one of those. No, I'm going to buy one of those. No, I'm going to buy one of those. And So I have a lot. I don't have anywhere near as many. He has, but I have a lot of those tools. Am I Ryan Smith? Ask Andrea. The answer is no. But I have the tools. Do you see the difference? Ryan doesn't just have the tools. He has the wisdom to know them. And therefore, to go to the Proverbs, to go to um, the, uh, the, the words of Ecclesiastes and to try to fix it, to try to fix your brokenness, to try to fix your life in a short period of time may speak to what the individual proverb might be saying but may fundamentally work against you because you don't understand how the Proverbs are being meant in the entirety of life. That is the danger of taking, for example, the wonderful pearls of wisdom that Jesus gives and trying to use them as tips for your new sales job that you have. I've read those books, by the way. Uh, Jesus has some of the greatest sales advice ever. That's really not what they were meant for. That's not kind of how they were designed. Yeah, but they work. Yeah, but you'll completely miss the point, right? That's how Proverbs work, which means that when you read the book of Ecclesiastes, yeah, it's great for you to have a few moments to learn from Nancy and to maybe learn from Jim, but in the end, it's a life devoted to this. It's, it's patiently. it's um, even, even going back and asking that question, I want you to wrestle with this. So you're a four, and... When should you be a five, or you're a five, and when should you be a four? Like, how do you how do you figure that out? Can someone just give me some just now? How do you how do you know how to navigate that? What are some th- things that you naturally do to navigate between that those those two uh, four versus five scenarios? What are some of the things that you do? Yes. Deb. Okay. I think that's wonderful advice. I think that it's very good for us to ask that question. Okay? What else, Lynn? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just knit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So pray about it. That's a good thing. Pray like crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's interesting because one thing I've actually learned, Deb, is the exact opposite of what you said. And I don't know about opposite, but you talk about wondering about their motivation. I've had to actually stop and ask, what's my motivation? So isn't it both? Isn't it both? It's what is their motivation. It's what's my motivation. It's, it's being really careful when I'm giving advice. Like That's why I've, I've really you know, kind of learned wisdom about like, uh, my views on parenting to just throw them out into the room, they can be completely misguided and misused. Um, Yeah, like Andrea and I, I wasn't afraid to spank my kids. And somebody's like, yeah, amen. And nothing like a good whack on it. And I'm like, actually, no, I want to take that back from you because you sound dumb and dangerous, right? So it kind of causes you to, yeah, I just don't think any kind of punishment should ever happen to you. Amen, because I hate confronting my kids. Okay, I want that back now. And so there's a lot of evaluation. There's a lot of discernment, not just of the wisdom itself, but the context that you're about to put it in, right? What needs to go here? I think there was a hand. Was it Tony or it was Kim? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah.
2: And so much discernment is needed. That's why I love the idea of prayer. And then here's the other one, maturity. Right? When we talk about time, what we're talking about is maturity. Which, by the way, in other words, for maturity, would be wisdom. Right? Hopefully we become more wise. This is why one of the greatest things Proverbs like tell you to do is like seek wise counsel. Paul, seek wise counsel. This is what wise people do, is they seek wise counsel. That's why you'll hear me say over and over and over again, Word of God, Spirit of God, people of God. Word of God, Spirit of God, people of God. Word of God, Spirit of God, people of God. Word of God, Spirit of God, people of God. Like... Don't be reduced to trying to think of life on your own. Um, I'm, I've just ordered a new book, and I'm totally blessed by, I ordered it for me and each of my boys. Um, it's entitled it's by Alan Jacobs, who is a uh, humanities professor at Baylor. So I believe he is a man of faith. But, um, I, and again, I'm, I've, I watched a panel discussion on the book. But what was fascinating was, it was on how to think. And, and one of the gentlemen said, what I loved about this book was it really taught the limitations of reason. Wait a second, I thought it was how to think. Yeah, but there are limitations to thinking. And one of the best ways to think is to admit there are ways that thinking won't solve this problem. I think it was Plato that actually argued that all thinking serves the passions. But isn't that what gets us into trouble? I mean, can you see the debate just kind of beginning to like storm inside of you? But what, that actually is what the wisdom literature seems to call us to interestingly enough. The wisdom literature doesn't have a, and by the way, X is 5, Y is 4, Z is 7. Go plug that into your life and you'll know exactly what to do in every instance. Wisdom literature is not that. Wisdom literature is this. A squared plus B squared equals C squared. What's A? Yeah, I don't know. You'll need to figure that one out. Okay, what's B? Yeah, I don't know that one either. You'll have to figure that one out. Well, what's C? Well, that would be A squared plus B squared. (laughs) Yeah, the square root of that, actually. No, 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 you're right. It is. It's the square root of that, right? That's what C is. Okay, but how do you get there? Yeah, I'm so Honestly, do you get the difference? And by the way, can I add one more thing? I'm trying to give you analogies because one of the reasons I want to give you analogies is because that's how Proverbs come. so I'm trying to stay true to the genre. But the other thing that's really very interesting about this is that some of us don't like that. Some of us just want the answers. I, oh, I, I was one of those guys that at first was very frustrated with professors that would say, they would write, what's the answer to you? They'd give you an equation, and then they would put underneath it. it drove me crazy, show your work. I don't want to show your work. I don't want to do it. Why? Because that's hard. Wisdom literature actually says, show me your work. Like, show me how you got there. Show me how you're getting there. Show me how you're thinking through there. Which, by the way, notice how this becomes then a natural way for us to think. It pulls me back into the community of faith because it's not an answer. It's truly a way of living. So it's not just me going off and doing it. It's not Jim and Andrea going off and doing something. It's Jim and Andrea spending life with Bill and Tony Stone so our marriage could look more like theirs, so it could be more like Christ. Right? It's Jim and Andrea moving beside Keith and Phyllis so that we can see how do we want our lives to be. That's what it is. Okay? So it involves tidbits, but it's a show your work. This is the equation, not these are the answers. Let's conclude by looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 8. And it's, it's very interesting. I mean, I could have just ran like crazy, but I wanted to kind of run at the finish line with this idea. So one of the statements that we know to say, but I want to tell you, I want to call you to more than saying it, I'm calling you to like believe it. Like believe it down deep in your, in your heart, in your soul, in your will. Um, that there is a profound, this is what I need to pray through, this is what I need to pray for, this is what I need, I need this. I need divine insight to know what to do here. Not magic, divine spirit insight to know how to handle this. So I love this, um, the, the, uh, the heading. I usually don't like the headings, but I, I shouldn't say that. Sometimes I don't like them, sometimes I like them. I love this one. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, beginning in verse 14. So I love this heading because it kind of like speaks to to what I've really come to learn, which is that we cannot know the ways of God. By the way, that doesn't mean we cannot know that God loves us or we cannot know that God died for us. That's not what it's saying. It's saying that ultimately we always have to, at the final straw, sit back and remember that God is God and we are not and the difference between the two. And I think so much of the struggle that we have or even our desire to manipulate wisdom literature is so that we can replace God with a version of ourselves. I'm trying to fix my kids and so I just need to know the answer so that I can be God to my kids. I'm trying to be God to my church. I'm trying to be God to my community. I'm trying to be God to my country. I'm trying to be God in my workplace. And it just doesn't work like that. No, only God is God. Only Jesus is Savior. So I can't not be those things. So I want to begin in verse 14. And again, looking at the general wisdom, there is a vanity that takes place on the earth that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. Meaning what? Bad things happen to good people. And again, that's... What do you mean bad things happen to good people? I thought only good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. Isn't that what Proverbs says? Answer, yes, that's what Proverbs says. A man reaps what he, so good you'll reap good. So bad you'll reap bad. True, yes. Always, no. Wait, the answer is there's more to the equation. Okay, okay. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous, i.e., the book of Job. The problem with the book of Job, you studied that recently, right? The problem with the book of Job is that there was information that Elihu and Ziaphaz and Job, there was information that they did not have that God had. Okay? So one of the most important rules of wisdom literature is this: You, I, we, do not have all of the information. Do you know that? Do you know you don't have all the information about even the other person's motives? You don't have all the information about your own motives? You don't have all the information. Therefore, if you don't have all the information, as you proceed, proceed with confident humility, Okay, or humble confidence, whichever one you want, as you move forward, knowing that you don't have all of the information. I said that this is also vanity. <laughs> Righteous deeds end up, bad things happen. So basically, that idea of vanity is not, oh, this is so dumb. It doesn't mean that. It just means it is beyond our ability to grasp is probably one of the best ways to do it. It's our, beyond our ability to control. Because everything is about controlling. I built all these things so that at the very end, after I had built them all, my life would amass to something. And I get there and it's nothing. It's like a breath. And so I decided to do this and I got there. and I thought by doing that, everything would work out. And I get there and it's but a breath. And he keeps ending up in those very difficult and dangerous places. Verse 15, and I commend joy for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and to be and to drink and to be joyful for this will go with him into his uh, to his in his in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun i love that statement to eat drink and be merry for tomorrow we die is a biblical like recommendation which by the way is sometimes good and sometimes foolish Right? Going back to it. Some people live by that, and they're a fool. Others don't live by that, and they are a fool. Correct? Should you eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die? And the answer is, that really depends. Do you need to look back on your life and go, I should be more serious or less serious? Yes. Therefore, eat, drink, and be merry. for this is good. Paul says that, by the way. You know that, right? Everything should be received with thanksgiving. What you eat, what you drink, it should all be received with thanksgiving and joy. That's Paul. Then he says this, When I applied my heart to know wisdom... And to see the business that is done on earth. Notice how often he keeps saying, so when you're reading it, I would even recommend if you ever get to read all of the chapters in a row, read how often he says, under the sun, under the sun, on the earth, under the sun, on the earth. You'll get where he's driving at. He's just talking about the few. That's why in the end, the, the final chapter calls us upward, doesn't it? It calls us towards heaven. So he says, all of that happens on the earth, how neither day nor night. Does, um, do, uh, do no one's eyes see sleep? Then I saw all the work of God. And by the way, up until this point, he has been spending a lot of time describing all the work of who? Him. Then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. You know what he's saying there? That as much as you and I, and be careful of running to extremes on this, as much as you and I want to know the score and to calculate it all out, the answer is it cannot be done. Only God knows the answer to that question. I I love, people love to ask me questions. Um, like, should I do this or should I do that or is this right or is this wrong or is this? And they have this very almost binary way of looking at things, right? On off kind of way of looking at things. And I love to remind them, I, I love to say to them, I, I had a professor in grad school who used to always say, God's God, I'm Bob, ask the one who knows. God's God, I'm Bob, ask the one who knows. And so many of our questions are truly that Dad, should I marry so and so? God's God, I'm Jim, ask the one who knows. Right? I'll give you my my two cents on this, but realize they're in in an exaggerated way, they're worth two cents. If I exaggerate the worth of my ideas, they're worth two cents. God's God, I'm Jim, ask the one who knows. Because when you start trying to calculate your life, if you've done that, if you tried to calculate your life, here's, here's how you can calculate your life. What wisdom would you give now? Right? calculate it out. By the way, Solomon did it. I mean, we're all prone to do that. I'm not, not saying it's a bad thing. Um, I'm becoming more inclined to say, man, the more I try to figure stuff out, the more I try to even spend all of this time evaluating and trying to figure everything out to the final score at the end of the inning, I have to realize I'm going to probably die in the second inning. So much work that I've done, I will not know. Your work in Mexico, good thing or bad, I mean, not a good thing or a bad thing. Tell me where all of that's going to lead. I have no idea. How about your kids? I, I really have no idea. How about your, you know, I, I, I really don't know. Now, by the way, some of us, when we hear that vanity or I don't know, it almost leads us to like a depressing state. Like if I can't know, how many of you kind of have that tendency? Well, if I can't know, then what's the point? Right? Does anybody kind of go that direction? If I can't know, then what's the point? I mean, some of us might have that tendency, hear me. I'm not leading you to the, if I can't know, what's the point? That's not where I want to ultimately end up. Where I want to ultimately end up is this. If we can't know, are you okay with trusting God? Are you okay with trusting God with the wisdom that you have tried in your life, sometimes successfully, sometimes not? Are you okay with the fact that you won't be able to know the final score of the game? Are you okay that you, you almost cannot measure? By the way, uh, one of the statements, and again, I'm sorry I missed the very beginning of this, but do you know the statement, cast your bread upon the waters? Do you know what that proverb kind of means? Because means, isn't that a foolish thing to do? What does it mean to cast your bread upon the waters? It's kind of the idea of literally, you know, of like, throw your seed, and hopefully it'll grow. Right? How many of you, when you like to plant seed, like to just carefully, right, make sure every seed's in, make sure every seed's like got the right, I mean, you want to do that. Um, and again, this is more proverbial. It's not telling you to, 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 to farm in this way or to plant your garden in this way. But actually, to cast your bread upon the waters and see if they return to you is a way of saying, trust God with this. That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about being foolish. We're not talking about being careless. We're not talking about being lazy. I want want to ask you this. After you're done doing everything you can to train up a child in the the way that they will go, do you trust God after that? After you've lived your life and now you find out, wow, I thought I was going to have a little more time. I'm not going to have a little more time. Are you okay with trusting God with that? Because why? Because I've seen righteous people end miserably. And I've seen miserable people end like, with a righteous looking life. Can you trust God with that? Or are you mad at the injustice? Do so you, you see the problems that can kind of come, can, 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 uh, can befall to us? And the book of Proverbs says no, this is the beauty of life under the sun, is that we can actually learn to trust God, we can learn to trust Him to, to return those things to us. So my final thought to you goes to our great wisdom book. I want to read it to you, so don't turn there. But um, if you go to the book of James, many of you maybe are already there in your own minds. Um, it's very interesting that the book of James kind of gives us this incredible challenge. Um, wisdom is something that is hard. Wisdom is something that you have to work for. Wisdom is something that's going to take a long time. The Bible says something else about wisdom. The Bible actually says in James chapter 1, verse 5. By the way, this is what I think we mean when we say, I love the intentionality of a good prayer. Instead of just like praying, like pray for wisdom. Because here's what the Bible says. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. You see? Like wisdom is a way, wisdom will take a long time, right? But the more important thing about wisdom is that wisdom is in fact a gift of God. Therefore, I think what I have learned over the years is that I'm grateful for my dad, who taught me the need to read a proverb a day, or I'm grateful for Mark Scott, who taught me how to interpret wisdom literature. I'm grateful for all of, I'm grateful for Solomon, for the things that he said. I'm grateful for all those things. I'm grateful for for wise men. My new favorite wise guy, his name is Thomas Sowell. I mean, I'm grateful for all of those things. But what this lesson taught me was to be grateful to God, for he alone has, and he alone can grant wisdom. Let's pray. So, God, I thank you for that, for that truth that resides, that stands true. I'm grateful for the way in which, in your generous spirit, you freely give this. God, uh, how wonderful you are that you reveal yourself to us, that you reveal a way of understanding life. And yet, Father, in your wisdom, knowing The numbering of our days, knowing the limited nature of our minds and the limited nature of our experiences, may we hear wisdom from others and not be quick to argue, um, but be quick to receive. And Father, may you grant us wisdom, not just for our own sake, but for your glory, and not just for our sake but, Father, for those that we live with. And, Father, for our sake, that it might be a great joy to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.